Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, Optus VP of TV content and product development, Clive Dickens, is on the mics with us today. He's done pure media at Seven West and SCA, but for two years he's been inside a telco building out a content and product slate designed either to acquire new customers for Optus or keep them from flying off. Yesterday, one of Clive's new initiatives was unveiled to the market as Optus seeks the high ground as a subscription gateway for pretty much everything. Clive argues there is a consumer subs boom coming in the next few years. 20% of Australians, he says, will each have more than 10 different subscriptions very quickly. We're going to hear a bit about that, but also what Clive thinks of the traditional media and advertising market after being out of it for a couple of years. Clive has also been one of the great apologists in Australia for big tech players, so I'm fascinated to hear his thoughts on what's happened since he left the ad-funded media sector and big tech has come under huge regulatory scrutiny. Does he still love them? I'm sure he does, but we're about to find out. So welcome, Clive Dickens. Um, been a while. Let's get straight to it because I know we're short for time with you. We'll, we'll get to your big play around subscriptions shortly, but first, let's just hear what you've seen as the biggest differences, good and bad, between a pure media company that you've worked for and how things are done at Optus and what innovation looks like there versus media. Welcome, Clive, and some some easy questions first up. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Look, it's, I can't believe it's been two years, but um, yeah, I'm sure it has. It's gone really quickly. And, of course, so many of that those months in that two years, we've been living in a pandemic. So it's a very different Australia and world that we find ourselves in. So having uh, spent fantastic five years inside Seven and building Seven Plus and and uh, breaking down uh, out of the i7, I felt it was time to move on and get new experiences. Bearing in mind, before going to 7, I'd never worked in television before in my career either. So never worked in telco, so come over. It's been a fantastic journey. My role, look after all of our new products, our new businesses, to take us beyond, obviously, the all-important smartphone and MBN business that is part of, of what we do today. And your, your questions around what sort of good, bad, and ugly, I think from the, the good part of it, is the scale. You know, we're part of Singtel. We operate across many territories. We have 700 million paying customers in the world, in the group, paying customers, not reach. <laughs> I suspect there's a little jab. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's more than Facebook have. That's more than Google have. And that gives you phenomenal uh, scale. It's, I mean, it's a, a big responsibility because you're dealing with huge amounts of data. Sorry, just to clarify there, when you say it's more than Facebook and Google in terms of paying customers, paying you mean? Customers, yeah. Right, right. If a customer's not giving you any money, are they really a customer? Good point. Now, there's, a, there's an hour-long conversation. Absolutely, right? So 700 million people on Earth, 10% of the world's population, give us some of their hard-earned salary every month and uh, across India, Africa, Southeast Asia, and Australia. And that's a huge responsibility of, with that. So um, that gives that, that's clearly scale as the opportunity. And obviously scale in Australia, where we have 10 million of those 700 million only are here in Australia. So getting involved in group initiatives has been really exciting. Getting involved in executing our new purpose of vision and strategy with our amazing CEO, Kelly, and actually to become an everyday brand and a loved everyday brand rather than just remain a profitable telco. And that's really my brief and I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. The stuff that's obviously um, 
is more challenging is that that scale becomes obviously the approach around governance is important. So the governance gates, understandably, that are there to protect shareholder returns and are significant, right? So when I think about 18 months for Subhub, some people might go, ah, why did that take you so long? Well, I personally, I think it's a, fun, it's a big, heavy lift anyway. But a lot of it is, and you've got to convince someone to do something for the first time. But obviously, there is there is a lot of process to go through in a large company. That's not just about Optus, Singtel, or Telco. It's any large company. We have 21,000 employees who work on Optus alone, of which 8,000 are full-time. And I, I, when I asked the group CEO when I first met her how many people work for the company in the group, she said, well, actually, I don't really know. You know, because the point, it wasn't really what she focused on, how many. It was about the customer and the well-being of those stuff. And I think the number is about 150,000 or something. But just on that, Joy, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's a fascinating point. But when you talk about the process and the governance gateways being sort of more, my words, onerous, um, but is there a risk appetite that is less uh, inside, say, a telco versus a media company because you know in some ways it's more possibly more maverick in a, in in a in a media company but they're still listed companies that have got governance the we're listed on the Singtel exchange and our and obviously our approach to risk represents our uh, risk profile as a company so clearly we have to take risk even more uh, seriously uh, inside a big listed company like Singtel and and obviously when you know with a, that amount of customer data for example you know you have huge responsibility when when, you, when you're making a phone call or when you're doing something on the mobile internet, you know, you need to know that you're you're in a safe place. And it's the operators, the telcos that basically are, who are regulated and mandated and responsible for keeping Australian citizens safe. So it's, it's that's, of course, shaped things. But in terms of taking risks to do innovative new things, actually, that's been really refreshing. The company is very, very innovative around... Uh, innovating into the core, thinking, okay, how do we, how do we improve processes? How do we provide products to customers like Subhub that are unique and different? We, you know, we had a product that I developed called Call Translate a couple of weeks ago, where you can now translate your calls in the native dialer. We're the first in the world to do that. Not not in real time, though. In real time, yeah, absolutely with Google. Yeah, so you can, you know, you didn't cover it on MI3, but everybody else did. We do it differently, though, Clive. <laughs> so we've got, so we've got. My point is that we. The company has got a really great approach to innovation. So let me ask this, though. Let me ask this. You said, you know, maybe 18 months to get Subhub, which for the listeners, this is the subs gateway, subscription gateway that we talked about earlier in the intro. But 18 months for uh, Optus to get Subhub through with you as the sort of champion of the project. How long would it have taken in a media company that you've been uh, either in we or We went from ideation of 7 Plus to launching with Home and Away in nine months, right? So we went from right. me sitting down with my board and my colleagues saying we should, we should should, um, effectively move plus seven from year seven and we should launch you know seven plus does it on purposely flipping the name around and from from someone saying yeah you can have that investment to when we made it home and away available on December the 13th 2017 I think it was that was nine months so um, and that was an equally big um, you know, I think at a peak we had 60 or 70 people at seven working on that. And um, and obviously Seven Plus has just had 7 million people use it in the last 17 days for the Olympics. So it's a very big product. So, you know, so but that was very quick as well. But, but my background before going to Australia was in startups. So 
I, I typically don't know whether that's what Australian media would take. A lot of people told me when we, we said it was going to launch on Home and Away, December 13th, season finale, a lot of people told me it wasn't possible, including some of my own staff, and um, who obviously left, but the um, <laughs> but it was possible, and but it was involved a lot of weekends and nights, and and so is this one as well. So, But we've not just been doing Subhub. Subhub's just one of the five or six things we've done in that 18 months, but of course it's the one we're talking about today. Yeah. We will eventually. Just to wrap up on that one then, Clive, uh, do you think that the telco environment is faster, deeper pockets, do things differently versus the media companies you've been involved in? Like I think most everyone's got the same challenge, which we are all being disrupted. You know, telco has been disrupted by by the reselling of the MBN being available to dozens of companies. And MVNOs mean that you can have mobile virtual network operators, successful ones, you know, like a Maysim and Audi and Belong that can actually come over the top of branded mobile. So everyone's getting disrupted. Yep. And so everyone, everyone has to, the way to deal with this disruption is to transform and you transform via software. And therefore our big dependency has been on network hardware and obviously broadcaster media's dependency has been on on transmission or linear or printing presses or publications so everyone's had to move to a software-based future whether that's cloud-based or whether that's ip-based or whether it's just software so everybody is we've got to go from being a telco to a techco every media company has got to go from being a media company to a techco so we're all trying to achieve the same thing with all different levels of success but we all have disruption so i really honestly couldn't tell you about who was faster because we're all having to think about the customer differently put them at the center of everything we have to uh, redefine all of our businesses from the ground up and i think um, you know that involves understanding software better and understanding ip better and not relying on some of the hard metal hard metal for a telco is that network build hard metal for a media company has been that transmission Got it. So let's go to the broader advertising funded media business model. You were very central to a business model like that at Seven and certainly at SCA. Two years out from afar, do you look at what's happening in media? Is there digital transition where it should be? You must have faced resistance. You did. You would have faced some resistance in the market, in the media market. In media, it really is around BVOD, 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 right? So, you know, um, it was actually Channel 9 who coined the frame phrase, phrase BVOD. Um, I think it was Alex Parsons and um, who borrowed it, I think, from the UK. And I was actually quite reticent of the term BVOD at first because that B word of broadcast, I thought was slightly an oxymoron against IP. But he was right and I was wrong. What it effectively did, it was about premium video that wasn't short form, wasn't social, and was um, curated and brand safe. And now we have a, a really large and fast-growing BVOD market. And and if you look at the PwC numbers, look at Seven's numbers and Nine's numbers, I'm really proud to have played a small but important role in the co-creation of that market, you know, three or four years ago. And I think um, PwC have got it up to 900 million annualized by 2026, which means mm. that we will get to a point where the BVOD market will actually be about larger than the non-broadcast. Um, than linear, you mean? Yeah, absolutely. We will get there at some point because linear will decline and BVOD will increase. Now, and, you know, and we're already getting to a point where earnings, if you look at the earnings forecast 
forward-looking statement that Seven made around BVOD uh, margins for FY22. They called out $120 of, I think it was EBIT, coming out of BVOD to Seven alone. That means they're saying that their their EBOT, sorry, EBOT, EBIT from their BVOD business will be greater than EBIT from their non-BVOD business. So, Mm. and if you're not in video, long-form video, and you're in audio, then, of course, it's about AVOD, you know. So whether it's um, uh, HT&E or SCA or Nova, they're now talking about all the right things, which is audio on demand, and whether it's this mm. podcast or somebody else's podcast, and and you know these these things were always going to come true, and in and then the other key area then is subscription, right? So subscription paywall and subscription services. The market that I'm just very very bearish about is display advertising. Display right. advertising that is just simply shapes on a screen. That I was never really interested in when it first arrived in 1993. Didn't really like it when it boomed in 2005, and very much hated it. But you know, it's not a sustainable business. Shape-based advertising is not a sustainable business. Now, audio into your ear, video into your eye, with all of that wonderful targeting and subscription, paywalled news or or paywalled content. They're the they are the three sustainable parts of media and shapes. Uh, however pretty, however animated, however interactive, and the CPMs from those are just continue to hit the floor. In terms of the the functionality and and, and efficacy of shapes, as you say, in display, that's going to trigger a few uh, conversations, I'm sure. So um, stand by. We'll have to loop around on that one, um, Clive. What about your own content slate, though? So obviously, Optus, you've got the TV uh, agenda there and and the content that goes on it. Um, The slate around sport and beyond. Stan's pinched uh, UA for Champions League off you. Is media fighting back on... You know these emerging players uh, out of out of telco is a great one. Obviously, BT uh, in in the UK has been well ahead of that curve on content. But what is going on in terms of the investments that you're making, Clive, into Optus Television and um, and what media is doing? So the stand thing, particularly, is there more of that to come? So we're into our. Uh sixth year of exclusive English Premier League rights. And we now have just under 900,000 active subscribers to up to sport, of the vast majority of which come to us to buy a mobile phone plan and a home plan, and then they get their beloved um, Man City or Brentford, depending on where you are. And that's been a hugely successful customer acquisition and differentiation play for us. And when we've added, and then recently we've added of the Euro Championships, which were which were hugely successful. We we released the figures for that final. We had just under a million Australians watch the England-Italy game. We made it free for all Australians, not just for Optusport customers. And we've added Women's Super League. We've got the Women's Euro next year and the Women's World Cup as well. Um, Yes, we would have loved to hold on to the Champions League, but we weren't willing to overpay for it. And it's it's a very exciting but only part of the whole European landscape. And and as you said at the time, you know, football has already always been federated by lots of different products. There's some on ESPN, there's some on BN Sports, there's some on Sports Flick, there's some on, on KO, um, which obviously has BN, there's now some on Stan, and there's going to be soon some on Paramount+. Plus. You know, what it actually shows you is that six years ago, when somebody said that maybe Optus had quote, overpaid for the Premier League. That wasn't the case at all. Well, the rest of the world had under, uh, the rest of the Australian market had underestimated the rise of the beautiful world game. The beautiful world game
game is what's has been the winner here. And this is a beautiful world game. And I love Australian sports like the next Australian, but then none of them are beautiful world games. And that's really what we're all investing in is that rise of that beautiful world game. Well, yeah, you're unfortunately talking to a rugby fanatic, so we'll have to have a debate off uh, off off the mics on that one. Is but, that a world game, though, Paul? Is it a world game? Well, the All Blacks. I'm an All Black supporter, so we can go. That's a world that's team. Your you world. can say that. Yeah, yes, that's right. So, how many of those 900,000 subscribers that you said have come to uh, sub- uh, are on the Optus uh, platform, subscription platform for sport? How many of them um, were came because of your content offer and became new customers to Optus? Yeah, so we haven't broken out that figure, but significant percentage of them more than half um, I'm not going to break down that figure you can you can buy Optusport direct from app stores for people who don't want to um, who don't want to have Optus plan but the strategic rationale remains around getting people to bundle together their home and mobile and subscription football. And of course, leading into Subhub in the future, there are other non-subscription football services like Netflix, Prime and the rest as well. All right. So I can take it then uh, once again, then that the the content play from Optus is working in terms of customer, at least uh, either customer acquisition and retention, both or one more than the other. Is there is there a dynamic going on there? The reason why it's working is because of our singular focus on the beautiful world game, right? So we are, even though it's called Optus Sport, you know, there is, you know, we're highly unlikely to become, you know, to go and compete in multiple, multiple sports, right? We've had this singular focus around taking something that was underappreciated, underloved and undermarketed and giving it this incredible pedestal. And, and, and football has been the winner to that. So that singular focus. And but if you think about, uh, we have segments in Australia, in Optus called New Australia, where where we over-index in, in the segment of the population that we call New Australia, which is the obviously the inbound, inbound uh, migrants from, from Europe and from, um, from other parts of the Southern Hemisphere and from Asia, right? And, of course, lots of those New Australians already come with a love of the beautiful world game. And, and actually, the, you know, so if you're coming from uh, Southeast Asia or, or Northern Europe or other parts then you, you, and you've got your f- favourite allegiance to your EPRC type, team that was part of the initial view six years ago and it still very much plays for us now where we have a very diverse uh, customer base that reflects very much reflects what we call new australia I'm going to move it right along because I know that we've got little time here, Clive. Um, and let's get to the subscription part, shall we? Before we get to Subhub, how much of a threat is a subscription model to brands, advertisers and media? If this coming surge that you talk about in subs transpires, uh, there will be less people seeing ads because it's less. there's less ad-supported content and there's more subscription. What does that mean for brands, even for Optus actually, which still does plenty of paid media advertising? Is there is there something going on there that people should be aware and concerned concerned or challenged by? No, not at all. You know, so we, we've um, revealed that the average Australian household um, have already have 5.5 uh, subscriptions today. Now, that includes subscriptions that go beyond entertainment, music subscriptions. That includes paywall subscriptions and also well-being subscriptions. So, and that's really what Subhub looks to help consumers streamline. It's not, it's not limited to the vast and fast growing content, right? Contents. Well, video. Yeah, it's still all of its content, but not the, not limited to SVODs, right? So right, when people right. think about how households, they think about SVODs, we're talking about all subscriptions. 
And we have line of sight that says that 20% of Australian households will have 10 plus or more um, within a couple of years. And it's going to get really difficult to manage those. And that's what SubHub does. It allows people to better manage and discover and simplify the management of those subscriptions. Now, uh, that the bedrock of that is going to be those SVOD services um, because that's what you pay for. The center spine of that is our unique investment in premium exclusive content with EPL and Optusport. And it's a really anything that can be delivered via the internet, um, a content service that can be delivered by the, the internet, not, and I don't mean a sort of um, a physical goods service. So, you know, as much as I think Dollar Shave Club's a great idea, we won't be aggregating the Dollar Shave Club. You know, that's a that's a different type right. of subscription. Right. We're not interested in helping people deliver physical goods. It's about delivering digital content, whether it's well-being, whether it's, uh, Kelly talked about education, we talked about um, paywalled news that we have um, with Inco and others. So, it is about helping people navigate that. That economy today is worth over $2 billion a year. It's rising to $4 billion. And we want to take our, you know, a share of that. And we also want to allow our customers to um, save some money and, and bundle those services together. Um, it's, a really, it's a win-win-win. The content partners win because they get to uh, work with our 10 million customers who are very low churn and high tenure. Um, we win because we can take um, a sustainable margin out of those relationships as commission, if you like, and the customers win because they bundle and save and actually hopefully they can either save that in their back pocket or we, we think that they will reinvest those savings into more content. And that's so that's why... Uh, Optus is getting into into uh, wants to become a sort of a subscription gateway sl- slash aggregator, if you like. So this is targeted for Optus customers only, right? So in a telco, you typically have three things you just think about when you decide to about to join: coverage, service, and value. Does the telco have coverage where I live and work and play? In the event that something goes wrong, can I speak to a friendly person to fix it, service, and is it good value? They're the three things that every telco on the world, in the world, competes on. Coverage, service, and value. At Optus, we have those and we compete very well on all three. But we have four other things that we compete on as well. We have the in, independently verified fastest 5G. So, so we are the, we don't have the biggest coverage of 5G, but we absolutely have the fastest of 5G. Then we have Optus Sport, if you love the beautiful world game. We have something called the Optus Living Network, which is features that I talked about, like Cool Translate and Optus Pause. And now we have Subhub that allows you to bundle and save your subscription services. We'll still focus on coverage, service and value, but in their decision-making process around which service provider I go to, we don't want to be solely judged on coverage, service and value. We want to be additionally judged on the other things that we do that differentiate us that nobody else does. And one of those today is And so what do you need to uh, achieve in terms of your KPIs on Subhub for everyone to be happy at Optus? Yeah, well, so I just need to, as many of our 10 million customers to, to go onto subhub.com.au, link their Optus account and start saving money, right? So we lo- we launched a product at 8.38 yesterday. The press conference was at 9. Um, you know, we our first day of trading, I wish I could tell you what it was. I can't tell you other than I'm a very, very happy person. And the one of the reasons it's gone well in that first 24 hours, Paul, is that inside that those first offerings, one of the offerings for anyone who's not just customer, who isn't already an existing Amazon customer, is you get 
12 months of Amazon Prime on us. That's free shipping, free Amazon Music, free Amazon Reading, free Amazon Prime Video for 12 months. So a lot of these early Subhub um, uh, users have just obviously done the right thing and gone grab their, their $84.16 of free value that we've given them. So it's, and that's really good value. And of course, there's, whether it's three months of this or one month of that. So that's immediately giving value to our customers. And that as we add Netflix and Paramount Plus and BritBox to that service, you can expect uh, as compelling, equally attractive offers. So what's feasible, do you think, in the first year? Do you think a range of between, say, 25 and 30% of your customer base will, will go to Subhub? Is that, a, is that a, If I was putting a, a number out there, does that sound reasonable to you? You know, at the moment, I don't, um, I'm not going to focus it in, in numbers. I think what we've got to do, we've got to get all of the products uh, technically integrated, right? So there's above the line and below the line. Today, you can integrate the, the Amazon products, the Kindle, Calm, Inkle, um, uh, an Optusport and OS Fitness. And then there's a whole bunch of products that we've announced that are not technically integrated and they will be flighted over um, the next couple of months. And there's also brands that we weren't able to talk about yesterday that are already in, but just didn't want to be mentioned in the press release because they're not quite ready to do the technical integration because a lot of the heavy lifting is on their side as well. So once we get to the summer and just beyond the summer, when we have what I think will be a much more broader set of attractive services, then and only then will we then go, right, now, how many of our customers are going to really want to use this for a, for a sustained period of time? But I'm absolutely focused at the moment on just uh, getting out. Uh, we haven't done any marketing. We've done any marketing. There's not any, any even search SEM on it. We've just simply allowed it to be discovered through PR and customers. And I think by the time we get to the end of the summer, then we'll be ready to really give it a good push. So you're probably sitting in there about 50% of your customer base then, Clive. <laughs> I tried once again. You're not going to buy it, are you? Final question, which you've mentioned um, uh, quite a bit. You know, Amazon, you've mentioned. I, I did say in, the, in, the, in my intro, um, you're a big apologist. I know that we've kind of had interesting conversations in the past about uh, between big tech and what's going on locally. Um, what about big tech? You're, you've been a fan in retrospect. Are they too dominant? Do they need their wings clipped? The regulatory forces are coming. What's your take on it as someone who's been a loud and proud advocate kit for those people over there across the ditch? Look, I think um, my view has always been that, you know, there wasn't a, there can't be a binary discussion about being good or bad. You know, they, everybody adds something to the economy, whether, you know, whether it's through employment, whether it's superannuation, whether it's through corporation tax, whether it's through income tax, whether it's through freedom of information, whether it's through, you know, all of the tools that we love and enjoy for free. But in saying that, I was really personally pleased to see all of those companies companies step up and make a contribution to journalism through the much um, discussed news bargaining code. And remember, they all finally, obviously they had that they had that stick hanging over them of that legislation coming through, and which in the end wasn't needed, but it was there. You know, would they have done it without the stick? Probably not. And I think now we've got a situation where we've got some contribution coming in to journalism in a way that's actually much more sustainable. And now we have to have continue to have an adult conversation around how these huge companies that have got even bigger in the last two or three years than even I could have imagined, how they provide, how they continue to commit to a sustainable Australian economy, a sustainable, sustainable digital economy. But remember, the same technology that's allowed them to come over and create shareholder value 
out of Australians is the same technology that's created amazing shareholder value for businesses like Afterpay and for Canva and for my friends over at Airtasker and loads of others. So, you know, we are actually becoming a more sophisticated digital economy ourselves with our own bunch of unicorns, <clears throat> which actually and our own bunch of dragons as well, the new term that sits above unicorns. And, you know, we, you know, we, to unimaginable when we first met Paul to think that there was um, a company that didn't exist eight years ago that would be part of a 30 to $40 billion US acquisition like Afterpay. And that's just one of our unicorns. So this is the, one of the reasons why we felt so um, uh, challenged by the, the hyperscalers is because we didn't have any of our own. And we genuinely now have a pipeline of unicorns. You know, Canva is another great one, and there's dozens of great examples. When I moved to Australia eight years ago, none of those companies existed. And I think it's been fascinating, exciting, and amazing to see the Australian innovation that's come out in that last eight years. Listen and- to you. You are still glass half full, as per usual, Clive Dickens. And, and uh, if we had more time, we could debate, but we can't because you've got a meeting to go to. So thanks. It was a, it was a, it was a fast conversation, but really, really interesting. And I look forward to sort of seeing uh, what happens next. And I guess uh, ten second take. What is your prime focus in the next six to twelve months at Optus? What are you? What is Clive Dickens going to be doing with his with his television and subscription and all the other things you're doing? What, what's the focus? Scaling um, Subhub is is real big focus for us, and actually getting that to joking aside, a significant percentage of our customers as quickly as possible is my real big focus. And if we think based on the reaction we've had from customers in that first twenty four hours. It seems to be very well timed, so we're very excited. The inference of the using the word significant would say that there would be more than fifty percent, then, wouldn't it? <laughs> so the lines breaking up, the the Zoom calls <laughs> dropping out. Thank you, Clive Dickens. Good to talk. Cheers, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.